Good evening, and welcome to episode 62 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight our panellists include 2015 regional champion and 2015 Australian Nationals top 8 competitor Wilfie Horrig. Hey, how's it going? And Stimhack League 6 champion and author of the Run the Net blog, Abram Jopp. Hey. Sweet, so we've got a tight panel tonight, it's going to be excited, but we're all about you, Abram, so how are you doing? Is it cold where you are? It must be, it's uh, freezing, right? It got cold today, the snow just yeah. came... For those of our listeners who may be unfamiliar with you, tell us a bit about yourself. How'd you get into Netrunner and start playing competitively and things like that? Well, I don't quite remember how I picked up the game, but I first got into Netrunner by watching the entire Team Covenant channel uh, before I really even played any games, Uh, (laughs) which made starting the game kind of interesting. I just played a ton on octagon i wasn't sure if i wanted to buy all the cards and so i just got super hooked played a ton of games and then when i was finally ready to play some people in real life store championship season was coming so i went to was this uh earlier this year or this was uh this year yeah this year in march so not super long ago and i'd been playing the game for maybe four months five months something like that but not you know i had only just bought all the cards (laughs) so I think it's great about those uh, online tools we have in Octagon, Jinteki.net. It does give people the yeah. opportunity to experience the full game before they invest a few hundred dollars in actually buying yeah. it. Yeah, I probably never would have yeah. taken the plunge if I didn't get the free trial. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly right. <laughs> with, with no one to play with. You know. So I, I went to the store championship just to meet people to play the game with because I couldn't get any of my Magic the Gathering friends to play. And so I go there with, I have the deck open right now, this NEH deck that has three city surveillance and 12 agendas and not really ice that does anything and, and information oh, no. overload. C- city and, surveillance? Uh, they have so many got, tags. Uh, first place after Swiss. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Oh, really? <laughs> but uh, the, the backbone was, uh, was this noise deck. I pretty much learned the game playing Anatomy of Anarchy, like Reyna, Overmind, Three Siphons, just being a bad person. And uh, I got so frustrated when Blue Sun came out. Couldn't do anything. You're playing Knights and Parasites. Can't do anything against that deck. And so I said, and I was sick of running into data pikes and toll boots and losing money and face checking. So I decided to play a deck that could uh, do things, even if the corp made it really hard to run. And so I decided to play Noise. And I'll come back to this later. It's an important part of my philosophy of the game is that if the corp does nothing but defend, you want to play a runner deck that has a plan to win if they do that in an efficient way, um, which Noise does. And so Noise completely carried through that and me through that entire tournament. I didn't win the thing, but I got knocked out of the top eight only on losses with this terrible NEH deck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Noise lost any games. Maybe one. That's good. Uh, that's so that's been, he's been kind of my guy ever since then. Uh, I met a ton of people at that store championship and joined the local league at Mead Hall where we play every week they have these 10 week leagues and you accumulate points and then they have a top 8 at the end of the 10 weeks and it's like an alternative to game night kits yeah so it's and they still use the game night kit for prize right yeah at the end of the whole thing yeah Yeah. but it's great because you get points for winning and for like bringing new IDs and so people experiment and they give participation prizes and we get like more than 20 people every week, usually. Oh, so um, someone's not getting that participation prize. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Unless they crack open more than one game like that. Yeah, I, I think... I, well, they they have just stuff lying around, I think, that they, yeah. that they give out. Well, and then sometimes so people will donate things. Last time I was there, somebody just brought an extra play mat, and they gave it to, some, to a new player who went 0-6. 
So, <laughs> uh, that's cool. It's yeah. a it's a really good area, and it's a good community. So that's kind of how I got into the game, and then everything is just grinding Octagon and playing there weekly ever since then. Yeah, that's good. And then and after it, the store championships, you would have been hooked, right? Oh, yeah, then I was totally enfranchised. You were <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was over. <laughs> so tell us a bit about the Stimhack League you played in recently. Uh oh so Oh that you won recently yeah. I should say. Yeah. I have Spoilers. so much I used to uh play a lot of StarCraft and Stim Hack League is not unlike that in that once you start doing well the ladder anxiety sets in, you know, and you have to be top four to make the playoffs, right? <laughs> so at one point I was fourth and I think my record was uh was seventeen and three. I decided that someone was gonna snipe my spot on the last day if I didn't play a bunch of games. So I played played four games and they were the tensest games of Netrunner I've ever played, and I won them all and went 21-3. and I think I'd played 21-3. and I played vastly fewer games than anyone else in the top four, so I squeaked in just on that win percentage. And then, I probably shouldn't spoil the playoff games, since people can go watch the, the replays. We'll, we'll just, we'll just preface with a spoiler alert, so if you don't want it to be spoiled, oh, just sure. skip okay, 30 seconds. But go on. <laughs> uh, in the finals, the best game of the whole thing was in the finals, um, I had a noise game where my draw was absolutely horrible, um, and my play was even slightly worse than the draw. <laughs> it was against uh, Food Coats, and uh, I watched the replay afterwards, and there was this moment where he has uh, three credits, I think. Yeah, three credits, um, and he's got a Food, double advanced, and a Capri server behind a Turing, um, and he has four points, and there's this point where I can deja vu for David and uh, play that and try to get in, but instead I deja vu for two lampreys and get like this extended lamprey lock going and then exactly deck him the turn before he can score the food. <laughs> um, so that's like a pretty, that was a pretty cool game, and I don't think uh, either of the commentators saw the, the lamprey line, but that's kind of yeah. my card. That's card is so much Lamprey. of how I play the game is just... Wolfie's had some good fun with Lamprey in the past Yeah, Lamprey well, is great. It's incredible. It's You can make an agenda cost like 12 credits because they, they put it down and you clone ship a Lamprey and you drain them for 4 credits and now if they want to score that's 3 more credits and then you drain them for 4 more credits. I mean it's like a... it's like a... two siphons. It's, it's horrible and you see all these cards um out of HQ, when you normally can't ever afford to run HQ, playing noise. Um, it's such a horrible deal. So, um, people have learned that their first architect goes on HQ against me. Because if you put it on R&D, eventually you're going to lose all your money. Um, because that's kind of what I'm, what I'm about when I play that deck. Um, and I usually just, this is kind of a weakness, just never run archives all game. I don't know if I ran archives once the entire playoffs. <laughs> I definitely didn't steal any points out of archives. Um, and now that everyone has CVS, it's just, you don't even bother with that nonsense. It's just you force them to devote resources to it, and then you just, just leave it. Yeah, someone uh, I remember on one of our previous episodes said that that was their strategy with noise as well, just because it's so such bad value to... Yeah, you possibly, you have to go through all their ice, you lose all these resources, and you don't get anything because they have to play like you're going to, you have the possibility of running archives every turn anyway, so they can never really leave undefended agendas in there, and then you take advantage of that by just never running and building your board otherwise, right? 
Right, and the idea of the ability is, as the game goes on, they're rescuing agendas, um, and so the density in their centrals is horrible by the end of the game. So you can, when they go for their final score, you can realistically get four points off of a medium. That's kind of the idea, is you pull all these useful cards out of their deck. Um, it's not really about getting points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then which makes me really to... sad that everybody plays two archive memories now, because now it's almost like I'm helping them. <laughs> <laughs> right, or internsing uh, something back must oh, be God. the worst yeah, feeling in the world. Terrible. And that's the thing, is the, the environment keeps getting worse and worse for noise. Like, it's two CVS, three Architect, three Turing, Ichi 2, two archive memories, just horrible things. And then when... It comes down to it, and I have to decide who to play. I just, you know, just play it anyway. <laughs> it always wins. So it's just a really powerful deck. And if it's if it's most of what you play for a long time, you know, you can win with it. Uh huh. Um, and did you change corp deck, or were you still rocking City of Surveillance <laughs> oh, in <God>. the <laughs> league? Oh, that thing is a disaster. Um, yeah. So. This is an, actually an important twist. I don't know if my opponents were paying this much attention, but during the regular season, I played this uh, NEH Astrobiotics deck, but it's not really standard. Um, it has no pad campaigns and three business shows and complete trash ice. It's like three quandary, three wraparound, pups, pop of windows, yeah, that's, architects. That's, that's dope. That's, that's where it's at. That's, and three, three shipments. I agree. It's awesome. It's incredible, yeah. and it lost one game the entire regular season, and that was to a six-agenda start. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus. That, and I That's still gross. got five yeah. points that game, actually. <laughs> yeah, That's all uh, right, yeah. It's a ridiculous deck, but I had talked about the deck so much and talked about it with my opponents after all the games so much that I, kinda, I opted out and played a more standard list. Also, some Data and Destiny cards came out, like uh, Archangel I really wanted to play, but it didn't really fit in that version of the deck. Maybe it does, and I just need to test it, but it didn't really work out for me. Yeah, so I played a list with pad campaigns and this stupid, boring deck, but it won almost all its games, so <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, so yeah, it was just a normal NEH deck, but there's still a lot of play to that deck. I feel like I do a lot of things with it that a lot of people wouldn't normally do. Um, I play it like that other deck, like very aggressively, Um it just is nice to have the backup plan of having a toll booth in the deck that you can actually pay for when you have to. Right, um, and actually have the chance of keeping them out instead of making them only go through a pop-up window and a well, pop every time Quandry, they want to make a Zayu. keeps them out. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Quandry puts in work. I it's, agree. it's incredible. Like, um, I even had one Quandry in this deck, and there was a really important point where... I had exactly one credit and had a quandary in front of a resed Sansan, and it was ma- amazing. If it was any other card, it would have been awful, but quandary definitely got me two points, so yeah, that card does a lot of work. It's a good deal. It does. I like it a lot. It's one of my favorites. Wilfie, did you want to introduce a second topic? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, so, yeah, a- Abram, from going through your blog, what's the URL? Oh, it's uh, runthenet.wordpress.com. The name uh, was chosen, I don't know if people get this, but run the net because it's how you run the net, as in being in control, like I'm running this net. Oh, um, I didn't Because that's, that's okay. what the play style is about, and it's about kind of putting variance aside and taking control of the game, is kind of what the message of the articles is supposed to be. I don't know if anybody gets that wordplay but me, but that was the idea <laughs> when I picked the name. Uh, oh, well, after this... Uh 
expose they certainly will Um, but do you just want to talk about that a little bit how about your philosophy with the game and how it comes through in your articles like i know you talk about a lot about differentiating learning netrunner like Mm -hmm. playing netrunner to learn as opposed to playing netrunner to win or other goals Mm -hmm. and that seems to be very important do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah and somewhat controversial i think people a lot of people uh We'll say there's not a difference between playing to learn and playing to win, and that like trying your best to win each game is how you learn. But I don't think that's true. And one example that I talk about uh, in the Corp Tips article is about ice placement, how people really fly by the seat of their pants and improvise with ice placement when they're trying to win a game. Uh, and they try to surprise their opponent, and they try to be unpredictable. But really, when I build a deck and start playing it, I kind of tell myself, here's where all the ice in this deck goes, and here's what it's for, and then I put it there no matter what. Like, no matter what's happening in the game, I go, in this deck, in this matchup, Eli is for R&D. And even if it, there's a really good time, it feels like, to put it somewhere else, it doesn't go there. You don't improvise. You put it where you decided it goes, and then you see what happens. Because if you're just trying to figure out, like every game, what needs to happen this game, for all you know, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you can't solve that problem. Whereas if you have a plan that you just always use, then you can learn when you have to vary it, and you learn exactly how to vary it. I feel like if you get to like the top eight of a big tournament, and you're in a position where you feel like you're improvising, you haven't practiced in the right way. You should be ready for anything, and that comes with having like a strong core strategy that you really believe in. Um, so ice placement is a part of that. The silver bullets thing... In the runner article where I say to not play with plascretes and clots and these cards. Because if you play without them, then you can reflect after the game on the point in the game where you would have needed them, if it's a consistent problem. Um, Plascrete's a good example. You can point to the moment in the game where you you lost all hope of evading being killed. And you can say, you can think, could I reasonably have gotten a Plascrete by that point if it was in my deck? Would I have known to install it? And then you also know, once it's in your deck, when to play it. A lot of people put Plascretes in their deck. They play against Butcher Shop. They see a Scorched Earth off R&D, and they immediately install their Plascretes. You don't, maybe you don't need the card that game, even though you know they're a Scorched deck. But you're not going to know when you need to play it until you get killed. So, <laughs> because then you know I needed to install the Plascrete the turn before this. <laughs> so that's kind of an example. And by not putting the cards in your deck you give yourself um, the chance to learn when those times are, and also the cards you can afford to take out for them when you need to put them in. In Stimhack League playoffs, I played two clots in Noise, so it's not like you don't play with these cards, but I played against NEH a lot, and lost a lot, (laughs) and beat everything else, and then realized, well, all these games I'm losing, I have five cards left in my deck when I'm losing. Like, the games were long, and so just... The plan of just install a clot, they purge, deja vu two clots, install a clot, just every turn. Not even doing the clone ship thing, just playing a clot every turn. That was the solution. But I came to realize that by playing hundreds of games without any clots at all. Um, And I feel like a lot of noises who just automatically put them in, they try to do the Kate thing, where Mm. you have your clone ship and you play this guessing game... um, and then you're not like using your clone ship to do useful things when it's the best card in your deck. <laughs> yeah. So they don't learn what they need the cards for until they lose without having them, if that makes sense. They kind of guess what they're for when they have it in the deck to begin with. So um, 
another thing, playing to learn uh, versus playing to win, is Psy Games. <laughs> when you're, well, when you're we, we know it's well. I mean, obviously, if you ask anybody, internet, it's it's just a dice roll. It's complete luck, and there's no skill involved. Yeah, whatsoever. when you're, when you're we trying can, to we can move win. on from there, right? Sometimes that's true, <laughs> but um, sometimes there are not very often. And anybody who plays with me locally can testify that on league night, I always bid zero. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, maybe if it is one, of, if it's one of those true die roll times, you know, where it's somebody wins the game. I might bid something else, but if it's if I hit a future perfect and it's a zero zero game, I'm gonna bid zero every single time, and everybody knows it, and they all bid one, and that's okay, because I d- if I get three points by bidding one or two, and then I win that game, I haven't learned anything about the matchup at all. All I've learned is how to win if I get three points right away, which I think I can figure out. <laughs> it's not <laughs> usually not that hard. So just treat it as a one-credit drain. Can I can I beat Caprice if I never win a Psy game? You don't find that out if you win Psy games. <laughs> so just always bid zero. And just see, can I win by just treating this as a one-credit drain? And if you really can, then just always bid zero. <laughs> but you don't... And not to mention your opponent might also just bid zero. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you just win anyway. Uh, yeah. Which actually happens... Especially if you bid zero so many times. Yeah. They're going to eventually be like, well, it, they're not going to bid zero again. Oh, yeah. They, they let them pick themselves out of it, exactly. And and then when it really does matter, too, word gets around, you know, if you always bid zero. And if you know they know that, you can kind of exploit it. But that that is more of a playing to win thing. But really, um, like there are matchups with noise where I've learned you don't need to win a Psy game to win this. That that biotech rush, the greenhouse rush deck people were trying to play for a while. You can lose every Caprice game and beat that deck if you treat it as a one-credit drain, so just do that. Um, But if you're messing around with ones and twos, you never learn that you don't need to win Psy games. The the thought of either player bidding two makes me sick. Yeah, it's it's horrible. (laughs) Has anyone really ever done that? I actually have a bid two at some pretty nice times. But yeah, it's always times that are just when it's the die roll time, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I didn't ever bid two in the systematic league playoffs. I think I bid one once, and it worked. Uh, and I bid zero every other time. Yeah, actually, that's that's right. So, I don't know. You don't, like, if you're complaining about the Psy game and you're not always bidding zero, then you have no right to complain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> you're you're playing into the, you're playing the corpse game, then. If you're, like, paying money to get the run ended. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're always bidding zero, then you can kind of complain more because you can say, well, look, I'm playing the no-variance game and I'm still losing, and that's annoying. And then maybe, then you have to start bidding randomly and you're playing a variance game, but... Yeah, so the the side game's a part... I haven't written about the side game yet, because writing about the, writing about the side game is really risky if you want to keep winning games. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> true. there was... Yeah. I'll, I'll divulge one more, since I have started telling people this one, but what I used to do as runner is, when I wasn't always bidding zero, is always bidding the last thing the court bid, because this was my terrible reasoning, which maybe it's not that terrible, was that it's not really a 1 in 3. It's a 50-50. Because in the corpse decision tree in their head, they either choose, I'm going to bid the same or I'm going to bid different. And then once they choose to bid differently, they choose between those two options. So it's really a 50-25-25 like, from a psychological standpoint. Yeah. And uh, So if they bid 1 and I bid 0, then I would bid 1 next time. 
Um, if they bid two and I bid zero, then I would bid two next time. Because I thought they were more likely to repeat than to change, especially if they won the last time. And that actually worked really well. So sometimes when I'm in uh, important tournaments, I'll bid that way. Um, rather than just always zero, if I know it's a matchup where I can't win just by bidding zero all the time. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I think uh, I may have said this on one of the earlier shows, but until I talked about it, I liked the strategy of, you know, borrowing a die from your opponent, being like, I borrow a die, then rolling <laughs> the die, uh, then putting, giving the die back to them, and then bidding zero anyway. Oh, when I, when I always bid zero, I didn't say this, I do roll a die every time. Uh, you roll you roll the die for sure. Another thing, um, I think Dan pointed this out in the cast of the Stimac League playoffs, is uh, I go into the tank really arbitrarily about decisions that don't exist <laughs> when I'm trying to win. There was a point where um, I had a Tollbooth on HQ and had just Biotic and Astro the last turn. I had six credits, unresed Tollbooth, and he has a Siphon in his hand. And if he plays it, I'm going to be ruined. I <laughs> have six credits, nothing to res, eight cost Tollbooth on HQ. He click one runs HQ. He wants to see if I wants to check out the ice, right? And I'm I figure that's what he's doing. He's I'm like ooh, if I don't when I don't res here, he's gonna like pound a siphon next click. Um, so what I do is I type thinking, and I go <laughs> go into the tank for a good fifty seconds, and then and then say no res, and then he doesn't <coughs> siphon me. <laughs> um, and then I had no agendas in my hand. I mean, even better would be if he keep kept running, right? Kept running. Um, that would be incredible. So I do do a lot of that too. Um, or like if I know I'm gonna res, I think really hard about it first. Not all the time, not in an annoying way, but maybe one to two times a game. Um, you can really, because if you don't think a lot, if you always play very very fast, which I do, I play really really fast. When you go into the tank, people notice. And you can kind of abuse them in that way. I can make them think I can afford this ice because they're they're gonna think it's so unlikely that I'm tanking for no reason. Who does that? <laughs> what kind of person? Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass that. over to Wilfie. Wilfie, do you do that? Because I know sometimes in our games, and you're and you're very good, and you're, and and everyone can attest to you, you're a very very fast player. And whenever you and I are playing, and you actually stop and you put your card da- cards down, you go like, hmm, I think, oh yeah, I've got him on the ropes. And I'm now just thinking, are you just trolling me? Uh, when you're nah, doing that? not really. <laughs> just because I find that having games go to time is much worse than you know random. Like I know that it can be very like once you think about something for a long time if you don't usually think about something then your opponent reads something into that like which can be very important which is what abram is saying but i usually just try and like i find that uh i'm, I'm too impatient <laughs> so i just uh you know think when i actually need to think but uh, maybe i'll start doing that and then people think, won't know i think uh you can do this if you play as fast as me i think i've never gone to time in a store championship Ugh, regional, it's the dream. I, I just I don't think ever. I've I've had games that where I they have the the final turn and I've won or lost on that turn, um, but I don't think I've had a. I have them like in weekly game nights, but never like in a big tournament. Um, you just play if you and that comes from practicing. If you know your decks really well, you won't go to time. Yeah, um, exactly just, right. That's unless your opponent's really slow, that. you just yeah. blitz through the game, and yeah. you just have your plan, and you do it. It's very important to know know your outs, know your list, mm-hmm. know how to play, and you'll find that you'll play a lot faster. Yeah, I think. it baffles me when I went to regionals, and people are looking through their decks to write down their deck list. Yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> like, if you don't, I, I can't imagine not knowing the 
both the 49 and the 45 that I've bought brought. That's incredible to me. Um, like, and then there's people who they they switch decks, you know, the night before. I know some really successful players. Oh, hey, anyone that, done that, Wilfie? Anyone done that before, <laughs> before, before nationals and then still made top eight? I mean, there's, there's great players who do that and they still win because yeah. they're great players. But if you're not one of them, you probably shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, um, I think we said we said as much as well. Yeah, we don't, still don't recommend doing that. Yeah, you can. There has been recorded success on this podcast of that. Yeah, I did it at nationals, but uh, of course, yeah. I would never recommend anyone do it. No, it's. Yeah, I my criteria for whether for bringing stuff to a tournament is I play 15 games in a row against random people on Octagon, and I have to win every single game. If it loses one game, it goes in the trash, and we play and we build a new deck from scratch, or we change several cards because it's you have to just you have to really believe in the deck, um, and you have to not even be able to. To me, I have to be able to feel like the deck is invincible, really believe in it. Uh, and that's that's how you I feel. feel like with, you can't lose a game in Netrunner. Yeah. Because the moment you like with with noise, when I've come into a rut with the deck, um, it's because I'll look at my starting hand. I'll have a Lamprey, and I don't just go Lamprey HQ, which is how I like to play the first turn, because I'm scared of something. And then I always have to stop and go, wait, wait, you <laughs> you're not you're not playing this the right way. Uh, once you have that doubt and like the fear. And you're not, like, you can't name the thing that you're afraid of, then you just start losing. Uh, I think it's really important to really, like, believe in your decks. To not go to a tournament and be like, oh, this deck's really good, but it's pretty bad against this. Because as yeah, soon as you face that, that thing, yeah. you're not going to perform. Um, yeah, you're going to assume that you've already lost and just play it like like it's an obligation. Yeah, or you're going to make win. these yeah. variance plays. Um, yeah. You're going to fire a beta test when you really shouldn't. You're going to pay four credits for a single access really early in the game because you feel like you have to take risks. Um, just, you're going to do stuff like that that's just not in line with your plan. I've, I've had so many noise games that I've won where I'll be playing against somebody and I'll be down like 5-0. And I'm still, like, imping Acid Economy and have not accessed any cards yet. And still playing the Econ game, like, to the bitter end until they're, like, even when they're on game point and I have nothing. You get, you've got to stick to your plan and you can't panic. Like, playing so many games with the Trash Ice NEH, I know so many games you win because you get to four points, you get to your second Astro, and they just panic and start running through double pop-up for one card every turn. Uh, yeah. And you you have no economy in your deck. That's exactly what you want. That's your game plan. You just have to relax, and if you're playing a long game, play a long game. And if you're consistently losing to something, then then you can change your plan. But don't improvise on the fly, and don't like react in a scared way. And I think everyone has had the experience of you know coming up against a matchup where maybe they're not as familiar as they would have liked to be. Or they they've maybe played it a little bit and it hasn't gone so great for them and they just come in with a fearful mindset from the start and it just you know it always snowballs into something bad happens and something worse happens and you know yeah for sure I I the good example of this fear thing is I played this terrible sync deck recently I made made it as a challenge someone made to me that had restructured data pool and private security force in it. You're just messing Powerful around with this. Agendas. What you did is uh, you put two data ravens on a remote, and uh, the only tag punishment in the deck was Psycho Private Security Force. <laughs> and, uh, right. and like a closed accounts. 
and you would just score these absurd agendas only behind data ravens because people wouldn't run through them. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like, and then I built the deck, and I just said to myself, just trust in the data raven. And I did. And just these times, they have 20 credits. Click one, they run a remote, data raven, end the run. <laughs> and because people just, that's how, what they, that's their response yeah. to the card. Is like, oh no, you can, once you blow through a data raven, then you've, you've lost. Um, it's sync, oh, it's gonna be terrible. That's far too much. I can't. Yeah. Then you score your restructured data pool, and then they're tagged for the rest of the game. And so then you, you know, People always say, can I have a rematch? This is the punchline of this story. Can I have a rematch now that I know? Yeah, they play again, doing. and then you switch to the other version of the deck that has no data pools and has three ghost branches. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's a good way to scar great. people. I love that. <laughs> uh, so just while we have a, a couple of minutes left, uh, Abram, um, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about your blog, so we were just curious, like, uh, how did you get it started, and what was your original purpose, and, uh, and how is it updated? What, what just tell us a bit about it. Yeah, so we I started really dig it. it. We all really like it on this end. I started it because uh, people asked me to. Uh, they told me that I should write some things, or I would say things, and they'd say, you should write that down somewhere. <laughs> so I just started compiling some thoughts of ideas of things I wanted to write down, and then I just started writing. Um, yeah, and I kind of wanted to represent this playstyle. It was an angle that I didn't think people really talked about. Like, people do a lot of reviews of cards, they do reviews of decks, they do how to play this, they do the game is broken. <laughs> but there's, there's not a lot of, like, hey, here's an approach to the game, and here's, like, a style that you can play with. Here are decks you can play that you're not going to see everywhere, but then that com- can compete with the big boys if you're willing to change your mindset about the game. Like this Gabe deck I just put up that has one Faust, one Breach, two Fairy as the only breakers. And <laughs> you just Fisk Investment Seminar and HQ Interface, and it's just this really weird play pattern that takes some getting used to, but it's still within that I'm in control of the game style that I'm trying to promote. Yeah, and then just I try to make the articles like entertaining and as witty as possible. And then people seem to really like the uh, article, the article about different types of corp decks, um, which I actually wrote out of being super annoyed <laughs> because people would all the time talk about um, fast advance as like a fast deck or like that fast advance and rush. They would use those terms like interchangeably. They would use Glacier in a certain way that kind of bothered me. And then I realized it was because Corp decks aren't, it's not like fast slow, and like fast advance is fast, and advancing, you know, scoring Nisei Mark II's is slow. Um, it's that the, the way you try to score and the pace you play the game at are actually unrelated. Um, and like the different types of decks we see reflect that. So, um, yeah, every time a corp deck comes out, I try to think of where it is on that spectrum, and then I have my cards that are good against those types of decks. So medium is good against rush-fast advance, because you need to control R&D and their ice is porous. Uh, Legwork is good against fast-advance glacier, because they hold agendas in their hand while they're waiting for tools, and they move slowly, so you have a chance to get multiple multiple agendas with legwork. Parasite is good against... Glacier traditional scoring because 
they have to build up ice over a long period of time so you can take your parasites away. So then when I struggle with a deck, I do look at these cards and I say, well, maybe I should be playing with these cards. Um, you don't, not countering a deck with um, Chrysium Grid and cards like this, but countering it with, like, your personal style. Chrysium Grid's a bad example, it's a corp card. Not countering things with Clot, but with um, a play style is more appropriate. Yeah, that's the blog. People give me pretty good feedback about it. Um, people yeah, seem really good, people seem to really like the abstract stuff. I think it's cuz people mm. people who play this game are very academic <laughs> uh, and they yeah. like the they like the theory. Um, yeah, philosophy and theory articles are really hard to come by and they're really really good yeah, when they um, do come around. So, and as you were saying, one thing yeah. I'll say about how I write them, um, for anybody else who's trying to write about the game is I'll actually write the article and then It'll be done for about a week, and then I'll play games and fact-check the article after every game. So I'll, I'll play a game on Octagon, and then I'll read the article and be like, is this, was this true in the game that I just played? Um, and then I'll edit the article if I have to. And So it's not just like a reactionary, like how I'm feeling about the game right now in anger at certain things. You know, I write about it, and I wrote that thing, and then that Corp article, for example, and I was like, okay, I just played against this type of deck, and what were the cards in my deck that were good against it? And then I take note, note of that um, and incorporate that into the article. So it's somewhat scientific. Um, it's not just all a priori-like theory, which I think is important. Um, there's a lot of uh, hive mind and groupthink in Netrunner um, <laughs> that you have to control for. Um, like, you have to play these cards always. So if uh, people want to get in contact with you, Abram, where can they do so? Ooh. Just on your Run the Nets blog? Or? Uh, yeah, and then on Stimhack is good. Stimhack, the big boy. And then I'm in the, the Stimhack Slack chat is super cool. Um, you should get into that. There's people... You should tell us about that. Oh. Yeah, what is that? That's Oh, that's it's like on Stimhack, there's a thread about, um, I think it's, I can't remember the title, but it's... Um, it's for a chat channel through this client called Slack, and it's just like an IRC chat um, with all these stim hackers who just like shoot the breeze about the game. Um, and so I'm on there quite a bit. Um, it's a good time. Like you can just at any given time you can open it up, and it's you have Dan and Kalimsha and these great minds of the game just talking about the game, and so I read a lot of that and get a lot of ideas from it. Um, so you can, like, private message me on there, too. Um, same name as Stimhack, the big boy. Um, any closing comments? Any shout-outs you want to do? Oh, boy. Shout-out. This out. is your one chance. Well, maybe yeah, not your I one know. chance. Uh, Meat Hall <laughs> is the greatest meta and the best store in Minneapolis. If you live anywhere near there, you should go there. Um, it's incredible. Jimmy Before Simon. attending Worlds, should we pop in? Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Simon... Um, is a guy locally who posted my blog on Reddit because I'm too, I think that's uh, too self-promoting to do myself. And he did so without <laughs> without prompting from me and uh, like doubled my hits per day by doing so. So that's that was pretty nice of him. Uh, yeah, and Team Covenant for getting me into the game and teaching me everything about always being zero because... And anytime any new player learns the game, I send them to that channel, and then they become incredible players. So <laughs> it's it's probably, aside from my blog, of course, probably the single best resource on on 
the web for Netrunner is that channel for new and intermediate players. And uh, as always, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Winning Agenda, and you can go like our Facebook page, The Winning Agenda, and drop us a line there as well. So, uh, Abram, it's been great having you on. We definitely have to get you on again. Uh, great philosophy, really aligned with everything we like to talk about. So, uh, as long as it's not too cold and we can get the timelines syncing up properly, we'd, we'd love to chat to you again soon oh, yeah. if you'd like to come on. Anytime. Uh, until next week, guys. We'll be here every Monday ad nauseum. So see you then. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. Maybe not ad nauseum. I don't know yeah. how you guys feel, but. <laughs>